following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Good morning. Uh, We'll be looking this morning in Leviticus chapters 21 and 22. Uh, We're not going to read, again, we won't read the whole passage as we're essentially surveying these um, uh, through the book, but I want to read the first eight verses of chapter 22, I'm sorry, of of chapter 21, uh, to start off. And it gives us a good feel. Uh, The topic here, just so you know, the topic is talking about the um, regulations regarding the priesthood. And our message, the title this morning is uh, a, A Holy Priesthood. We are a holy priesthood. So let me read uh, chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, uh, and the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall make himself unclean for the uh, dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his father, his, his, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister, who is near to him because she has had no husband, for her he may make himself unclean. He shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people, and so profane himself. They shall not make bald patches on their heads or shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their body. Uh, They shall be holy to the Lord their God, and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled. Neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband. For the priest is holy to his God. You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord who sanctify you, am holy." We'll stop there and we'll read some more as we go on uh, through the passage. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting, uh, one of the uh, kind of pieces of human nature is that we like to create special classes of people. And we especially like to create special classes of people that we're part of, right? <laughs> and make us feel better. And it's part of kind of our nature to give ourselves worth, maybe, or importance. Um, and it's been true of, of, of many cultures and, and certainly of religion that uh, there are special classes of holy people. And in the religious context, it's usually a holy man or a priest or a sage or a monk who is somehow set apart as, as extra holy, extra devout, uh, extra special. And, of course, uh, usually they pay some price for that, um, um, celibacy or avoiding uh, things that other people can enjoy. Um, but they're seen as set apart. And so this was true in Israel. Uh, as we see here, the priests were set apart as a unique and special class of people. Um, and so in, in Israel, uh, there were clergy, the priesthood, and lay people. And they, they were not the same. And in our democratic society, in our democratic thinking, it's hard for us to maybe imagine this, that like all people are created equal, but in, in the Bible, actually, that wasn't true. Maybe they were created equal, but they were not treated equal. 
uh, the holy people, the priests, were set apart, and they were to be treated differently. And they had something that, that everyday people did not have. Um, and so we come to the New Testament, and one of the striking and unique features of the New Testament is that that, distinct, that distinction between clergy and laity is removed right, in, in biblical uh, New Testament Christianity under the New Covenant. Now, of course, a lot of people don't understand that that distinction has been removed, and in a lot of churches it's still, in a very practical way, still practiced. Right, so I don't know, is Judy Christian here this morning? I want to pick on Judy. She, always, she loves to, she's not here. Oh, she is here. Judy, what do you always call me? Reverend. She loves to call me Reverend. Now, I think part of that is kind of good-humored jest, right? Um, and certainly, um, it's good to, I, I suppose, show respect to um, people in leadership. But, uh, but I'm not in a special class, okay? Just to be clear, reverend is not the same as priest, right? I'm not a priest. Okay, that would be a very Catholic thing. And uh, unfortunately, the Catholic Church held on to that distinction, they held on to this idea that there were priests, a special class of people, and then there were lay people. But actually, in the New Testament, it, it, it removes that distinction. And it does it not because it makes everybody lay people, but actually what it does is it elevates everybody to the place of priesthood. Right? We have what we call the priesthood of the believer. We are, and we'll see at the end of this message, we will get there, that we are a holy priesthood. Right? So it's not that... Uh, the clergy are brought down, but all the people are brought up to the same place as holy priests before God. Right? So, uh, in, in Scripture, it is it, it is taught that there are there are leaders and there are specific gifts and offices, but that should not ever be confused with being belonging to a special class or group of people. Or just because I lead the church as a pastor doesn't make me in any way better or different or unique. It's just I have a different call and gifting, and in, in Christ. Uh, we are all together uh, God's holy priesthood uh, with our own unique gifts and our own unique callings. So, um, so what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to be this priesthood of believers? Well, we'll get there, but first of we want to understand and help us do that, help us picture this. We want to understand what it meant for the priesthood in Israel to be holy and set apart. What it meant for them to be in this special class, right? And, and again, because we come from democratic, often to societies, uh, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this idea that there's a special group of people that I'm not part of, right? It's like, okay, we can be special if I'm part of it, but I don't want a special group that I'm not part of. But that's exactly what it was. So let's look at these two chapters. And uh, what's interesting in verse 7 and 8 uh, kind of cuts to the heart of, of these two chapters. And if you look closely, I don't know if we can pull that scripture back up or turn your Bibles, but chapter, uh, chapter 21 and verses 7 and 8 says this, uh, talking about marriage and how the priests had to have an extra measure of care in who they married. It says, They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled in any way. Neither shall they marry a, divorce, a woman divorced from her husband. Uh, for the priest is holy to his God. He's holy to his God. Uh, and then he says to the people, you, therefore, shall sanctify him. Very interesting phrase. He says, the priests are holy. They're in this class by themselves. And you, as the people, are to sanctify them. Well, to sanctify something is to make it holy. So what does he mean? They're holy and they're to make it holy. Well, the idea there is that you are to treat them differently. 
Right? They are not equal. They are not on the same level as you. You are to give them an honor and uh, an attention and a care that treats them as holy, as special, as sacred. Right? And so they were to be very careful about how they interacted and handled the priests. And these next two chapters explains about what that looks like. Right? How the people of Israel to, were to sanctify the priests, to set them apart and, and distinguish them in their own unique category of people. Uh, elevated and respected and honored as, as not lay people, not everyday common people. Right? So, so we want to look at is how, how they did that, what that meant to set them apart, how they honored them and how they distinguished them, how they made them holy. And to do that, uh, we need to understand in, in uh, Exodus and Leviticus um, a distinction between three categories of, of being, right? And those categories are the unclean, the clean, and the holy. Okay, the unclean and the clean and the holy. And this is, for probably most of us, um, hard because it's not how we grew up, right? Um, I mean, when I was a kid, uh, my mom would, once, once a week on Saturday night, would make me take a bath because she said I was unclean, <laughs> right? And um, believe me, I was unclean by Sunday morning. I don't know why she waited till Saturday night, but I was very thankful because I just hated baths. So I was thankful it only had to happen once a week. Uh, hopefully I didn't smell too bad. Um, but, but that was that was the extent of my knowledge of clean and unclean, right? But it was very different in Scripture, and, and we don't really uh, often can grasp, grasp our, our, this concept. And the problem for us is that when we think about holiness, we would tend to think of the opposite of holiness as what? Unholy, right? Unholy. And for us, the categories of holiness tend to revolve around the ideas of moral character, like breaking some law. So like if I... Uh, I'm unfaithful to my wife. I have made myself unholy because I brought sin, I brought rebellion, and I brought uh, the, the corrupting effects of sin into my life. And so I've made myself unholy. Uh, but for them, and in this passage specifically, and it's, and it's, not, it's not that uh, obviously sin makes you unholy, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but what he's talking about here is not between the holy and unholy, but between the holy and the unclean. So what is that? What is the difference between the holy and the unclean? Well, to help us understand that, we, we can look at three realms, in, 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 uh, specifically Leviticus, that divide these into, into these categories of the clean, the unclean, and the holy. The first realm is the animal realm. And we looked at this back in chapters uh, 11, 12, 13. If you remember, there were three kinds of animals. There were animals that were unclean, and if an animal is unclean, you could not eat it, right? It was, it was off limits uh, to, to you to eat. So there are all kinds of, whether bugs and insects or birds or animals or fish or all, everything was divided between the unclean and the, and, the, and the clean. Now, if it was a clean animal, you could eat it, right? But um, only, only animals that were holy could be offered as a sacrifice, right? So there was three classes. The unclean animals, clean, and holy. The unclean you couldn't eat. Uh, the clean you could eat. But only the holy could be offered as a sacrifice, as an offering. And we, if you're interested in knowing what distinguished them, you can go back and restudy that. Uh, then there was the tent, right? The tent of meaning, the, the tabernacle and its courtyard. And likewise, it was broken up into kind of three zones. 
And the first zone was the unclean zone. And actually, the unclean zone was not only outside the tabernacle, but it was actually outside the camp. Right? So the Israelites were, were camped around the, 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 the tabernacle, which was in the center, as Tim shared last week. And if, if you were unclean, you couldn't even be in the camp. Right? So there was this idea of separation of distance. So anything that was unclean had to be distanced or separated from, uh, from God. Uh, but if you were clean, uh, you could come into the courtyard. You could come into this canvas cordoned off area that, of course, allowed you in the camp, but also to come into the, the, uh, the, the tabernacle area. And you could come as a clean person as far as the altar, right? But you could go no further. And then there was a third place, which was called the holy place and the most holy place, which was inside the tent of meeting. And uh, everyday lay people could not enter there, right? It was off limits except for only to those priests who were sanctified as holy, right? So it was, it was a special place, right? And then, of course, we see it here with, uh, in the human realm. Uh, we see that there are unclean people, Right? And, and uh, we'll, we'll look a little more at how they get unclean. But in general, Gentiles were all considered unclean. Um, those who came under one of the three Ds, uh, disease, discharges, and defects, the three Ds, right, uh, made you unclean. And uh, again, if you want to read about those, some fascinating reading in, in chapters 11 through 14. Love that stuff, right? All those wonderful bodily discharges that we just love to read about. Um, and of course, if you, and so those things would make you unclean, but also if you had contact with something that was unclean, whether an unclean animal or, a, or something that had died, or um, uh, somebody who had one of these three Ds, actually could add, I guess, four Ds disease, discharge, defects, and death. <laughs> or we could probably add more Ds, but I won't. Um, so contact with anything unclean made you unclean, right? Uh, so there was, there was the unclean. Then there was the clean. So all the Israelites who were healthy and who had not come in contact with the unclean. Um, and again, they had access to the altar. And then there was the category of priests, this holy people set apart to God. right? Um, and, and they corresponded to the tent of meeting. They could enter the holy place. And the high priest himself could enter the most holy place into the very presence of God where God dwelled. Um, so... What you need to see with these three pictures, the, the unclean, the clean, and the holy, um, what it comes down to is this. Is it, it's, it's about uh, your access to God. Okay, that's what this is all about. If you are unclean, you, can't, you cannot get close to the temple. In fact, you can't even be in the camp. You are separated. Right? Now, if you're clean, you can come much closer, much, much closer. But there's still restricted access. You cannot go all the way into the presence of God. That requires holiness. Right? And again, the holiness I'm talking about here is not simply moral character or moral integrity. And they knew that. And that's why anytime the priest, okay, the sacred set-apart holy group of people, anytime that they came into the temple area, they knew that they came in an unholy state because of sin. And so always it required them offering a blood sacrifice that would make atonement that would cleanse their sin. But that was a given. That was a given that they always came with this moral quality of unholiness. 
But there's also another idea and concept that they could also come, and if they weren't careful, they could come, having come in contact in some way with something unclean. And if they were unclean, they were also distanced from the presence of God. And again, this is one that for us is a little harder for us to grasp what this uncleanness looks like. Um, But essentially it's this. Uh, we, We are distanced from God by sin, but we are also distanced from God when we don't live up to and measure up to his ideal standard and design in creation. So when you look through a lot of the things that make, uh, a lot of the conditions that made something unclean, it's because they weren't really God's ideal in creation. So that's why a disease or a defect, a physical defect was a problem. If you had a skin disease, um, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, praise God, he did not create them with skin diseases, Right? or with uh, physical deformities. Those were things that were not God's ideal. They they lacked the perfection of God's design and creation. Um, So the point of all this is ultimately to make sure that only those who were set apart and sanctified and whose holiness had not been in some ways compromised by the unclean would be allowed into the most holy places and the purpose was, that, was so that they could make offerings before God and provide atonement for the people. It was all about making atonement. And the priest would make the atonement for the people. But if they weren't holy, then the offerings that they brought would not be accepted. And atonement would not be made. Uh, it's all about atonement. They shall be holy to their God and not prof- profane the name of the Lord. Verse 6. For they offer the Lord's food, that is, these sacrifices, these offerings, the bread of their God. Therefore, they must be holy. Um, uh, verse 8, you shall sanctify, you shall set them apart as holy. Uh, you shall, uh, they shall be holy to you. Right? So, so what this is all about, uh, I hope you see, is that it, it's about uh, the ability for the right people to gain access into God's presence. And the one thing that could, 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 would disqualify you is any condition of uncleanness. And so there was this urgent need to separate the unclean from the holy. And that's what these two chapters are about. Uh, spelling out clearly all the ways that the priest could become unclean through contact. And so we're not going to go through these, these in depth. But, uh, for example, one was through uh, the, uh, the death of, of anybody. And, of course, death would make you unclean. Uh, but it created questions for the priests. It's like, well, if, what happens if my, my mom or my dad die? And, of course, in those days, you didn't call a mortician. The family would, would take the body, and they would prepare the body and deal with it. So the priest, if he was responsible, if he was maybe the oldest son, and he um, was given the, the task of, of burying his father, the question was, can I do that? And, and so he says, yes, the Lord, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, no one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people except for his closest relatives. And then interestingly for the high priest, verse 10, the, the, the priest who is chief among them, on whose head the anointing oil is poured and who has been consecrated to wear the most priestly garments, he shall not let a hair of his head hang loose nor tear his clothes. He shouldn't do anything to show mourning or grief. Which, by the way, is what the, the shaving the head and the trimming of the beard thing, those were all things that were done as, as parts of mourning in, in pagan cultures. 
so the priest cannot do that. He shall not go into any dead bodies or make himself unclean, even for his father or his mother. Right? Because of his position, he cannot sacrifice or compromise his holiness, even for the death of his father. Um, we see it with marriage. Uh, they are not to marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled. Uh, neither shall they marry a woman who has been divorced. Right? But for the priest, he can marry a widow. So the idea is his wife needs to have moral character and integrity. But for the high priest, he can't even marry a widow. Right? He can only marry a, a woman who is a, a virgin, who has the purest moral character. Um, the three Ds. <laughs> Uh, and this is just great. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring through their generations who has a blemish uh, may approach to offer the bread of his God. Well, what's a blemish? Like, is a mole a blemish? Well, he's clear about what it is, although the Hebrew here is a little confusing, so we don't know what all these things are. But in general, you get the idea. Uh, and notice the purpose. He says in verse 18, For no one who has a blemish shall what? Shall draw near to God. That's what this is about, is access to God's presence. You cannot draw near if you are not in this state of perfection. So a a blind man, a lame man, one who's got a mutilated face or a limb too long, uh, which I don't know I've ever seen that. (laughs) I walk around with his leg way too long. I don't know that I've seen that, but we don't know what that really means. But it's, it's an oddity, right? It's something that's not following the pattern of God's design and creation. Or a hunchback or a dwarf or somebody with an injured foot or an injured hand. Uh, an itching disease or scabs and on and on and on. Right? Uh, these things uh, disqualify you. You must, you must stay separated from the holy place uh, because these are, are falling short of God's ideal design and creation. And God's created things the way he did to display his glory. So anything that's broken is not displaying the, the glory of God as he, as he intended in creation. Now, we may think, well, that seems awful cruel. The poor guy's not even his fault. He was born with you know, some genetic defect. How, that seems very um, unloving and uncompassionate. Uh, but it's not about compassion. It's about God's holiness. And God had compassion for them. He said, you're allowed to eat the food, the holy sacrifices. Right? He doesn't cut them off from their rights and privileges as a priest. But they cannot enter into the presence of God. Um, and it's interesting, uh, he, he highlights in this passage also the same three Ds as related to the animals. An animal that's brought as a sacrifice also must not have any of these defects or diseases or bodily discharges. Right? Uh, they must be holy. They must represent a picture of what's right and good and perfect. Uh, lastly, they, he, he does spell out uh, there are cures, and if you were unclean, uh, uh, it, it, if you were unclean by contact, there was a cure. And you had to wash yourself in some specially formulated water and wait till evening, and then you were considered clean. So if you touched a dead body, uh, you were burying your father or mother, uh, after that process, you would wash yourself uh, in uh, this water with a red heifer, blood and ashes mixed in it, and you'd be clean. Right? Now, if you were diseased or you had a defect or... Uh, something, you know, you had to wait till it went away, right? It was a skin disease. You were disqualified from entering God's presence until that went away. And then there was also a process for cleansing. Um, so so that, 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 
that's how they made the priesthood holy. Right? And again, for us, it's kind of like mind-boggling, and it's like we don't get how you know, all of this works. But it was how they were to treat them as a sacred, special, set-apart group of people. And if we understand the background of this, it makes reading the parable of the Good Samaritan have us a little more understanding for the priest and the Levite. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable that Jesus told? guy gets beat up and he's left lying bleeding, mostly dead on the road. And Jesus said, what, a, a priest comes along, what does the priest do? He goes way to the other side. Well, why does he do that? Well, if the guy's dead, he doesn't want to compromise his role as priest by making himself unclean, right? Maybe he was on his way to the temple to do temple duty, and if he got involved with this guy, he wouldn't be able to serve, right? Uh, or, or worse, you know, even worse than that, he wouldn't get dinner because, because the thing was, you couldn't eat the holy offerings until you were clean. So, no dinner, right? It's even more tragic. So, uh, so then the Levite the same way, right? helps us understand and appreciate that these guys weren't necessarily heartless or cold as much as they were called by, by this passage to keep themselves holy and separate from anything that would cause uncleanness. Right? All right, let's jump ahead a little bit to uh, the New Testament. And what does this uh, picture uh, tell us about our priesthood? Uh, well, first, we want to look not at our priesthood, but we want to look at at Jesus' role as our great high priest. Right? Uh, this teaches a lot about Jesus' role as our great high priest. Um, and what we see, first of all, is that Jesus takes holiness to a whole new level. Right? And, and what I mean by that is this. If you understand the picture of this, the clean and the unclean and the holy, if it's really all about access, right, it's all about how close and near you can get to God, then in the Old Testament model, the the person who could get the absolute closest, closest was the high priest who could come into the holy of holy place, into the very mercy seat of God where God's glory dwelled. And he could go in there once a year and he could come right almost to the very presence of God. I mean, as it were, into the very presence of God. Uh, but what we see about Jesus is that when Jesus, as our great high priest, when he made entrance into the temple, he did not go into that temple Right? He did not go into the temple in Jerusalem and take some of his blood into the holy place there and present it uh, as our atonement. Right? Uh, Hebrews 9.11 puts it this way, and I know I keep reading this because um, Hebrews 9.10.11, or 8, 9, and 10 really interpret all of Exodus. Right? So I, I'm sorry I keep coming back to this passage, but, but let's read it in the context of the priesthood. Right? When Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, he went to the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not of this earth. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Where did Jesus do that? Jesus did not go into the earthly tent. He went into the heavenly realm, right? into the very direct presence of God. Uh, when, when Solomon dedicated the temple, uh, the temple that he had built, he acknowledged that the temple was really not the throne of God. He said, this really isn't the house of God. It is at best only his footstool. 
Right? It is his footstool. And, and yes, God has granted that something of his glory should reside there, but that's not where God dwells. He dwells in heaven. His throne is in heaven. And when Jesus went as our high priest, he did not go into this earthly tent, but he went before the very throne of God. Why could he do that? Because that's how perfect his holiness was. Right? If, if holiness is about access, you get the picture here? Jesus had access beyond even the high priest, not to the footstool, but to the very throne of God. Right? Kind of like probably a crude, crude illustration, but you know, I love FaceTime. Yesterday I got to FaceTime with family. And FaceTime is almost like being there, right? It's almost like you're almost there, but it's actually not being there, right? It's still not being, FaceTime is not face-to-face, right? Well, the Holy of Holies was kind of like FaceTime. The throne of God is God face-to-face. And Jesus went to the very throne of God uh, and had access because his life was so holy and so perfect and so without blemish that he could... He gained access uh, where no one else could go. And there, with one sacrifice, with his own blood, he made final and perfect atonement for us. That is his high priestly ministry, where he is both the priest who offered the blood, but he is also the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, who also was holy at a whole other level. So that his blood had power and it efficacy. It had uh, the, the, the power to do what the blood of a bull and a goat could not. Right? His, his blood was enough. And he offered it there as high priest before the Father to do what? To atone us. Right? Uh, and, he, and, and, and we'll see in a minute uh, the, the, the consequence of this is that he, because he had access all the way to the very throne of God, he's opened the same access for us. Right, so we don't come to church and somehow have some shrine up here that's like FaceTime where we can come to God's presence. Right? Uh, we have symbols, but, but that's not God's presence. We, as God's children, can go into the very throne of God. Right? He says in Hebrews 4, right, with, let us with confidence draw near to the very throne of grace. Right? We have that access because Jesus has opened the way through his own holy life. A couple other uh, quick observations that, uh, I don't know if this really will make sense to everybody, but a couple of interesting things about Jesus' life as high priest. Okay, Jesus is our great high priest. And, and if you look at uh, Ex- uh, Leviticus 20 and 21, um, the priests had to be super careful to not make themselves unclean. Right? They couldn't touch the dead. They couldn't touch a diseased person. They had to be super careful. Um, and yet, what we see of Jesus is Jesus is incredibly careless when it comes to touching unclean people. Like, he's touching unclean people all the time. Like, everywhere. Like, dead people all the time. Oh, there's a dead person. I'm going to go touch them. Right? Oh, here's a leper. Let me go give that guy a hug. Right? Or here's some woman with an issue of blood. Hey, let's touch her. Right? He was just this really touchy guy. Right? And he wasn't supposed to be. Right? And in fact, that's one of the problems that the religious, the priests and leaders had. They said, you know, you're you're making yourself unclean. You're hanging out with Gentiles. You're eating with Gentiles and sinners. That's making you unclean and breaking things. Um, how could Jesus do that, right? The dead, the diseased, the deformed, um, those with discharges, all of them, 
he touched, right? Well, two things. First of all, Jesus makes it clear that um, the rules, the, the, the regulations about uncleanness in the Old Testament were symbols and pictures. Right? God gave these ordinances not because uh, a bodily discharge actually made you really unclean. It was symbolic. It represented a deeper truth and spiritual reality that helped them wrap their minds around the holiness of God. Right? And so Jesus says in Matthew 15, 7 through 18, Don't you see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. That's not what defiles you. Like food, disease, death, these things can't really defile you. He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Right? He says, look, all, that, all the laws about uh, uncleanness were, were, were symbols. They were pictures to help us understand that uh, God's perfection is not only represented morally, but also in this ideal of creation, this ideal of perfection in in, in even our physical body. But he says the real issue is is a heart issue. And so so Jesus came not to deal with these external, well, we'll talk about that, he deals with external things, but primarily to deal with the heart issues. He comes and he gives us a new heart. Second thing uh, that relates to Jesus here is that Jesus uh, in the Old Testament they could be cleansed by washing so if you got unclean if you touched a dead person or something unclean the process was to take this red heifer water and, and wash yourself and you would be clean right? well that's an amazing picture of Jesus who has the power to make the unclean clean right? he is the red heifer water and so he came and he could touch it and he wasn't worried about it uh, defiling him because he made it clean, right? So when he touched the dead person, they didn't stay dead, right? That changes the rules, right? Because right? no longer are you dead, you're alive. When he touched the leper, they no longer were a leper. They were restored and they were, in fact, the New Testament uses the words, they were cleansed. And they weren't just healed, they were cleansed, right? When Jesus touched the broken, the lame, the blind, the deaf, he healed them and he made them whole. He restored them to God's design in creation. He perfected them, right, in that physical sense, not the moral sense. Right? Uh, so he's off the hook, right? Um, uh, that's exercising a power at a new level. So Hebrews 9 continues on this way. It says, So Jesus entered once for all into the holy places not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling, get this, okay, the sprinkling of a defiled person, the sprinkling of an unclean person with the ashes of a heifer, if those things sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself what? Without blemish. Without blemish. Right? So perfect was Jesus in every way that he offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Right? Right? He just takes this holiness thing to a whole other level. And so effective is his life and his blood, his holiness in every way that he makes us not only morally clean, but pure, undefiled, cleansed. 
Um, one more thing about Jesus' death, and I'll run through this one quickly. Uh, the priest was not to marry a, a woman, especially the high priest, was not to marry a woman who was not a virgin. Right? Who is Jesus' bride? Right? We are his bride, the church, right? Are we, a, are we a virgin? Are we a pure bride for Jesus? Well, we weren't. Right? We weren't. We were not pure. We were defiled by sin. We were unfaithful to God because of our rebellion against Him. How could Jesus make us His bride? Right? It's off limits. We as His bride should be off limits to Jesus. But again, such is His power of redemption that it puts it into a different category. Um, and so it says in, in, in Ephesians 5, familiar passage, um, it says that Jesus, it says, Husbands, love your wives as, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having what? Cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Right? We are his bride, not because we deserve it, but because he has cleansed us. Right? By the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Right? And, and we are his bride. Right? And he is making us this beautiful, spotless, perfected bride that is without blemish. Right? And, and those words just take on whole new meaning when we understand this backdrop of the priesthood. Right? Lastly, um, um, the three Ds, right? Um, uh, we don't see it yet, but, but Jesus uh, ultimately will restore every person to wholeness, to, to physical perfection, to the ideal design of God's creation. 1 Corinthians 15.50 says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. And he's talking here about the resurrection, right? 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection. We shall not all sleep, that is, die, because we will all sleep. And I'm thankful for that. I love sleeping. But here he's talking about death. Okay? We shall not all sleep, that is, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable, broken, diseased, dis uh, body with physical discharges and all that bad stuff, right? This perishable body must put on imperishable. This, in, this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who, th who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He will fix, he will restore us to God's ideal, uh, ideal of creation. Right? He will give us new bodies that are perfect. Right? 
Uh, last thought. Uh, what about our priesthood? First uh, Peter two five through nine says this: We we are we are now a holy priesthood. Right? We are together, all of us. If you are in Christ, you are a holy priest. Right? And and so think about this priest. This priest was not lay people. They were set apart in a special category. You and I have been set apart in this special category, elevated above the rest of humanity as God's holy people. 1 Peter 2.5 You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A couple things to understand about this. First of all, uh, when he says that you are his priest, we are not the high priest, and there is only one means of atonement, and that is through Jesus. So that's why, like I, you know, pastors, we avoid the title priest because it can, in churches where that's practiced, it can imply this idea that the priest can make atonement, that somehow is a means of atonement. But the only means, our only atonement is through our great high priest Jesus. He has provided atonement for us, and he alone serves that role as our high priest who brought the blood into the holy of holy places and opened up access to God's presence through his blood. Um, Jesus, once for all. But uh, what it means for us to be priests is this, that we now have the access of a priest. We have the access to God's presence that a priest had. That's what it means. Right? We, we don't have limited access. Before, the lay people could only get so far, and they had to stop while the priest went on into God's presence. Now, you are priests. Right? You have direct access to the very throne of grace, not even through Jesus. You don't have to go, well, we, it's through Christ, but Jesus says, you don't come just to me and stop. You go to the very presence of the Father through me. Right? Do, we, do we live, do we take advantage of that reality of God's presence? Right? Do we take advantage of that access? We are priests. Um, and as so, we are all priests. And, 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 and God has broken down this division between clergy and laity. There's no such thing as lay people. Right? There's no such thing as lay people. Yesterday I was in Congan uh, meeting with a group of seven uh, Thai churches and church leaders. And it was awesome. And, and, and these guys... Most of them, I mean, they're church leaders and they're, uh, they're, they're preaching the word and sharing Christ in their villages. But most of these people haven't been a Christian for more than five years, right? And so uh, I kind of had the second part of the meeting. And the first part of the, their meeting was making plans for their church group. And the big thing coming up is Easter. Like, we're starting to celebrate Easter. And they, they were talking about what they're going to do for Easter. It was just so fun to see these people who had... You know, they're first-generation Christians. They didn't grow up going to church. They don't know how this works. And they were debating, like, what day should they celebrate Easter? They, they, like, they didn't know. Like, this is like kind of a worldwide thing. Like, we, pick the, we don't get to pick the day. It's kind of a sign, right? And, and so the missionaries were saying, ah, you know, actually, it kind of needs to be on the 21st. <laughs> it's really not optional. They just didn't know, right? And these guys are rice farm farmers. 
they um, uh, when you picture what would be lay people, like like these look like lay people, but they're not, right? I may have more more education. I may have been a Christian longer. I may actually know what day Easter's on. Irrelevant, right? We are together the priesthood of the believers, right? I am not better than them. Um, in many ways, uh, you know, they are saints. Paul calls them saints, holy people, who have the same direct access to God. And maybe they take advantage of that access more than I do, right? Maybe they actually spend time in the presence of God more than I do, right? Uh, lastly, he says, uh, we, we, do, we do not offer the offerings of, of, of animals, right? We don't need to do that because Jesus is, 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 is sufficient. But he says, we offer the sacrifices of praise which are acceptable to God. Right? We uh, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. And that's why... Uh, you know, at CCF, we, we want to worship God as a body, right? And, and I hope you do this individually, right? The other thing, what it means for us to be a priest is we have access, but secondly, we offer the sacrifices of praise that are acceptable to God. He loves it when we praise Him, when we rejoice and celebrate who Jesus is and the redemption He has purchased for us in His blood, right? He loves it. So we're going to do that now, right? We're going to offer the sacrifices of praise as Andy and his team lead us. And let's do that as holy priests who uh, can bring joy to the heart of God as we worship him and as we proclaim through song and through our hearts the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.